0: The best there, thank you it is Are you gonna roast me? oh man in the in the first service yes. I did I did run you down a little bit you did a little bit a little roasting a little but that's why when you, there's a risk when you give somebody else yeah, a there's mic, a risk there's a risk, <laughs> there's a risk. <laughs> that bad things can happen we'll see where the Lord leads you this service Jimmy <laughs> I felt some pressure from Lindsay to maybe not roast him this uh this half so I'm sorry but we're gonna we're probably still do that anyway well, I got to tell you, um, you know, it really is an honor to be, be part of Two Rivers. It's an honor to be part of this service, particularly because uh, baptism is my absolute favorite part of a service. You know, to hear a testimony of a life transformed living for Christ and, you know, to hear Nicole um, give her testimony was just super powerful. And I know that there's at least one person in this room that is glad that this baptism was not a polar plunge. Nicole, are you still, are you, yeah, are you glad that this was not a polar plunge? You're very glad. Two years ago, I started to do a polar plunge when my word for the year was unstoppable. And I, did, I remember in January here going over to Horsetooth. Anybody been to Horsetooth? Okay. Uh, so my son and I had to actually break through ice before we did the polar plunge. So I can fully appreciate the pain and torture that you would have experienced here. But I think, and I told Jason in the first one, I think we should add some ice to the tub from now on. It'll be unforgettable. You'll never forget that process. You'll be able to say, I remember when I was baptized because it was a polar plunge at the same time. Um, All right, how many of you by a show of hands or hoots and hollers are a little disappointed when you heard Jimmy Page was coming up and you realize that I'm not the Jimmy Page? Is there anybody anybody that knows what that means? How many of you are like, I have no idea what that means? (laughs) Okay, okay. That's fine, I, that's fine, I just aged myself, 25 years. Um, you can Google him later, Jimmy Page, and you'll find out all about Led Zeppelin and the greatest guitar player that ever lived, okay? But I'm not him, and, I, and to be honest, I'm a little disappointed that he's not here, to be honest. Um, I know that I'm violating the dress code, we talked about this in the first service, you know, I know I'm violating the dress code. Anybody here with a jacket on? I mean like a sport coat, okay? I'm the only one in the entire, that's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, but I'm untucked, that's good. And I'm balanced, right? So I balanced it with the beard. I said, you know, I've never had facial hair in my life. In fact, I couldn't even grow a beard until I was like 30. And, but, but I felt peer pressure, the Colorado peer pressure. Guys, any of you guys in here with a beard? Let me hear from you. Right, right? I felt a lot of pressure. It's very embarrassing to walk around without facial hair. And so I'm, I'm coming along. It takes me a little while. We moved out here uh, 18 months ago. And when Eva Lisa and I were making the decision to, uh, where to where to go, Fort Collins became the place that God called us to. And then we began to search for a church because in Maryland, we had enjoyed a grace-based church, meaning that we could walk in the freedom and joy that Nicole described. You know, that it wasn't a religious experience of rules, but instead it was freedom in Christ, and we were invited into this abundant life. So when we came to Fort Collins, immediately we were like, man, we, we are just praying for a church home. And after about six months of, of going to a number of great churches in Fort Collins, by the way, there's a lot of great churches, we found this to be home. And I think part of that is just this freedom that you'll get every, every week, right? That we're actually spurring you on to living your best life on a regular basis. One of the things I love is the way Jason teaches and um, his spirit. And and the spirit of this place. I mean, who, where else do you have confetti for baptism? What are those things called? The thunder sticks. Where do you have those? You know, you have them at the uh, Rockies games, and not at the Broncos so much because we really we're not we're awful, so you don't you don't get those there. But oh oh oh, that hit a nerve. Like yeah, right, great. I'm a Jets fan. I've got nothing to be proud about. <laughs> Sorry. But Jason and I became very very fast friends. Uh, someone that I called... Uh, one of my closest friends, and he's been an encouragement to me and our family, and we've served in a number of ways in the short time that we've been here, but I really admire, admire and love you. So is that better, Lindsay? A little better this time, <laughs> sorry. Okay, good, I'll roast him. Um, he asked me to share, just for 15 minutes or so this morning, uh, about a concept called One Word That Will Change Your Life. I have had the opportunity with a couple of my best friends to write a book um, where it details that, that idea of narrowing your focus, Throwing out resolutions, narrowing your focus to one single word for the year that will be a driving force to bring absolute life transformation. It's it's an opportunity to, to trust God to add things to your spiritual DNA and to change your life in multiple directions. And you know you were all in last last uh, year, weren't you? Twenty nineteen. What was your word? Discipline. Discipline. Now I roasted him a little bit because the one okay. One word will bring transformation for you in multiple areas of your life, but I roasted you a little bit because I focused in on the physical, but I was really complimenting you in many ways, right? So he, he shared with me privately um, that, that one of his kids was like, can I, <laughs> I have trouble with public-private, I just, you know, he shared with me privately and said, don't ever share this until you're up in front of the whole church. And he said one of my kids said, "Hey dad, you know you're you're getting a little older and you know you're you're getting a little a little, you know." And I said, "What, dad bod?" And he goes, "Yeah, that kind of that kind of is what they were describing. You know what a dad bod is, right? Okay, just picture that real quick. That's the before, Jason. And now the after, Jason, with discipline, he's applied discipline, he's a crossfitter, a die-hard crossfitter. And now he's like beast mode. You know, it's like, who in America has a pastor that we can say, dude, the dude's beast mode? So I thought what we could do is on the count of three, we're going to yell beast mode to our pastor. You ready for that? One, two, three, beast mode. All right, I like that better than, okay, beast mode. I'm fixing some things as we go. Uh, About seven years ago, I had an opportunity to go for a bike ride. Now, I'm a cyclist, uh, and in the rolling hills of Maryland, we had a group in our neighborhood, a lot of great friends that would go and this one particular day, we had an opportunity to bring some of the boys. Jake's here, uh, who's my middle son, and his younger brother, John, decided to go. Now, John at the time was only 12 years old, so he was a, a bit littler than everybody else. All the rest of us are fully grown, and he had a, little, a smaller bike, but it was a road bike, and I said, John, you know, you should come. Uh, Steve Erlemeyer, who's my best friend in Maryland, said, hey, um, it's going to be an easy 20, an easy 20, so I convinced John to go, and about the 25-mile mark, he said, uh, you know, I could tell he was looking at me with some concern, because I had convinced him to go, because I knew he could do 20, but when we got to 25, and we're as far out as you can imagine, I'm thinking, this is going to be a long, long day, and I saw the look in his eye, like, I trusted you, Dad. You know, we're 25 miles out, and we're a long way from home. And I remember looking down at my bike, and you know, there's two things that you wanna bring on every bike ride. Any cyclists here? What do you need? Water, that'd be helpful, and food, right? So you need food and water, it's pretty simple. And we were out of both of those at the 20 mile mark because we had planned for 20 miles. So here we are at 25, and I can see the desperation forming in John's eyes, and, and I said, look, we'll, we'll be all right, let's do this. Let's get in a slipstream, we'll, we'll follow one bike to the next to the next, we'll put you near the back, we'll save energy, I'll stay behind you to make sure that we don't lose you off the back of the line, and we'll conserve energy until we get home. So he's like, good, that's a good plan. So we start to do that, and we're motoring along, and I remember coming up, to a, a, um, coming up a hill, and we're rolling, and I'm the last one in line, but I remember, I'm delirious at this point. We're at the 40-mile mark. We've been out of fuel, we've been out of water. Do you feel the desperation right now? It's like being in Masonville. Anybody know where Masonville is? It's like being in the middle of, and that happened to me, or completely bonked in Masonville, another story. But it's like being there. And I remember thinking, I'm delirious, I'm exhausted. Anybody have low glycemic, you have low sugar levels? What happens when you have low sugar levels? You get, you get jittery, don't you? You lose focus. And I lost focus just in that moment when we came upon a stop sign, and I lost focus, and everyone else is braking. I'm 18 inches off of John's wheel in front of me, and I don't realize everyone's slowing down. So in that moment, I I realize this is happening and my wheel starts to come up on the side of John's wheel and I'm thinking, this is gonna end badly because if you rub wheels on bikes, somebody's going down. Now, in my mind, I have a choice, right? Do I let John go down or do I take one for the family? You know, and I'm seriously weighing my options at this point, you know? And then I'm like, no, I cannot after, at this point, I cannot let him fall. And I remember scraping against the wheel, pulling away from him, crashing to the ground, skidding across the the pavement, into a ditch, all the way down, rolling down. Everyone else has stopped at the stop sign and I've disappeared. And they're looking back and they're like, hey, where's your dad? Where's Jimmy? I'm completely disappeared down the embankment. I didn't find out till later that I uh, landed in in a patch of poison ivy, which added, right, you're feeling my pain right now, aren't you? Anybody ever had poison ivy? Listen, you don't wanna get it. One thing I discovered is the pages are relatively allergic to poison ivy, and I spent the next three months on steroids trying to get rid of that stuff, ballooning up to about 225, it's fine, it's fine, it was worth it, but what, in that moment, and the lesson I learned was, when you lose focus when you're cycling, it can end in a lot of physical suffering, that momentary loss of focus, but in a life, if you lose focus in life on the things that matter most, on your mission, on who you're becoming in Christ, on why you're here, if you lose focus on that, on who you're becoming, the damage can be much greater than just falling off a bike. What I discovered in that moment was that focus drives impact. And with a lack of focus, you can really miss out on the life that God has planned for you. You don't live the abundant life by chance. It doesn't just happen to you. You live the abundant life by choice. And most of us, and I think this is true in this room, most of us have probably never been busier. We've never been more distracted, whether it's through technology or the the worries of life. We've never been more anxious, and some of us depressed. We've never had more worries than ever before. So today, I'm gonna share with you this simple concept of narrowing the focus for greater life change. And I know that if you pick a word for 2020, and you drive all aspects of your life through what God might wanna do in you and through you this year, that you will enjoy a life of real transformation, of meaning, of mission. You'll be able to live your best life. So I'm gonna tell you some stories from my family, and I'm gonna walk you through the process. Hopefully in the end, you'll be closer to selecting your one word for the year. And if you're a college student, you can join us on Sunday at our house. We're gonna be going through the one word process, let you select your word for the year uh, as we host a lunch for you as well. But hopefully by the end of today, you'll be further along the line of being able to select your word for the year. So back in 2013, my word for the year was connect. And I remember in those uh, moments, I was like, I want to connect more relationally with my kids. I want to have better connections with my friendships. I want to pay attention to those things in a different way. And in that moment, my son Jake came up and he said, Dad, I've got the next thing for us. I've got the next best adventure. And I said, what is it? He goes, we're going to compete together in obstacle course racing. And I'm like, great, what, what is it? He goes, I've been doing some research and Spartan, is the best obstacle course race out there. It's timed, it's competitive, and it's something we can do together. So I think, hey, this is an opportunity to connect with Jake in a a significant way, to form some memories. So we start training together, and we decide we're gonna train together as much as possible, we're gonna race together, and we're gonna finish together. So we begin this race, and this race is anywhere, they don't tell you how long the race is gonna be, they just say it's gonna be between eight and 12 miles. Isn't that wonderful? So we go into this race, and we're, we're about nine miles in, and now I'm starting to have that same sensation of when we were on the bike with John. And I remember in that moment, we come upon this one obstacle called the bucket brigade. Now, the bucket brigade is the most grueling part of the, of the race, because you have to fill a Home Depot-style bucket with as much crushed stone as you can, which weighs about 80 or 90 pounds when you get it to the level. And then you need to Carry that up, up the hill about a hundred yards across the hill fifty yards and then back down, and then you get the, the great pleasure of being able to dump that stone right back where you found it. Now, when I came up on it, I'm like, that's the definition of suffering to me. Is there a spot where I can do the burpee penalties? Anybody know what a burpee is? Anybody want to volunteer to, no, to anybody want to volunteer to show us thirty burpees because the penalty for not for not finishing one of the obstacles is 30 burpees. And they said, listen, in order to, to finish the race, you can't do burpees. You have to do this obstacle. So I think, uh, you know, I welled up with tears and she, the race attendant, noticed that I was suffering in this moment. She said, but if you have to, you'd be the only one today, but you could do them over here. I'm like, there's only 10,000 racers and I'm gonna be the only one that does burpees. At this point, Jake's up the mountain. He's already figured I'm gonna do the burpees and we'll meet at the bottom. But I went and I filled the bucket and completed it cramping up head to toe by the time I was done and Jake and I got separated. And I remember in that moment thinking, the reason that we're racing is for connection. The reason that we're racing is for togetherness and we got separated. So I lost all kinds of motivation to finish this race. In fact, in my head, I'm like, when I get to the next stop, I'm gonna step out of the race, I'm gonna go to hospitality, get a massage, and then I'll see Jake at the end. Now, little did I know as I'm yelling for Jake that he's feeling some of that same disappointment that we're not gonna finish together. So when we got reunited at the top of the hill, it was like a celebration. You know, we ran and we're hugging and we're high-fiving chest bumping, you know, and it was a little embarrassing, but I loved every minute of it. And I remember from then on, the last four miles of that race, we've never been fresher. We helped each other with the obstacles. There was pure joy in that moment because we were connected again. We were together we were accomplishing that mission. That was the power in that moment of one word in our lives. And this is a picture of this. This is Jake crossing the finish line with me lagging a little little bit behind. I let Jake win, let me just say that. I I always let the kids win, right Jake? Yeah, I always let him win. Actually, he's dragging me around. He probably could have finished the race in under an hour less than me, but it doesn't matter. My recollection is I let you win, but he looks spectacular crossing the finish line, doesn't he, looks spectacular. That was the power in that moment of one word, and it, and it became a, a message to me of the power of focus. So let me go through the process with you. I'll tell you a couple more stories, and then hopefully by the end you'll select your word. We do have some books out, out back, and all the proceeds from that will go to Two Rivers as well. So if you wanna support the church and, and, and become your best in 2020, that's an opportunity to do it. It's three steps. Look in, look up, and look out. We made it super simple so that, um, so that anybody can grasp hold of this. The first step is to look in. It's this idea of unplugging from the busyness and the noise and the distractions of life long enough to say, what do I need most? What's in my way from becoming my very, very best? What's gotta go? And then the the big question that I always ask from here is, if there was one word that I could focus on that would bring the greatest positive life change, what would that word be? And then I'll go through the process of writing down a number of words that I think are are possible. And in the end, you'll select one that will become the driving force. I remember back in 2013, uh, my oldest son, Jimmy, was going to Liberty University. So he was a a freshman at, at Liberty, and he was deciding whether or not he would try out for the lacrosse team. He was a good high school lacrosse player, had some fear and anxiety about going out for the team. And he calls me and he said, hey, I'm, uh, he calls his mom and I and said, hey, listen, I'm thinking about going out for the team. And I said, well, tell me about that. Do you want to play college lacrosse? Is this something you're excited about, you're passionate about? Because it's going to be a big commitment. And he said, I think so, but I'm really worried about the process. And I said, hey, Jimmy, what's your word for the year? And Jimmy says, my word is boom. And I said, boom? I said, well, what does boom mean to you? And he says, boom means breakthrough, that this is going to be the year that I'm going to go for it, regardless of the fear, regardless of the anxiety, regardless of me worrying about what could or couldn't happen, I'm going to go for it. And then we all kind of chuggle on the phone like, huh, there might be a message in here for whether or not you should go for the team. And he decided in that moment, of course, to go for it. And we were so excited. His mom and I were praying. We're like, man, this would be so great for Jimmy if he could make the team. We knew it was going to be a a dogfight in order to make it. And uh, he'd call us every night saying, man, I'm so focused, you know, God's blessing me on the field, I'm, I'm scoring, I'm, I, you know, I've never played this good. And we were so glad that God was answering our prayers, specific prayers in that moment. And this is a picture of him making the team, he's number three on the right, and that's the rest of his team. We did the one word pro, uh, program with them as well to give them the focus they needed for the year. But what I love about this story is this. In that moment, I got to refer to him to his one word for the year, what God might be trying to develop inside of him that can change the way he acts, the things that he's willing to do. And then, of course, we were blessed to have him make the team. And fast forward two years later, same son, he, he calls his mom and I on the phone and said, hey, I'm really struggling with my business classes. In fact, he's like, I hate business. Now, true confession, as a dad, I had kind of shepherded him into a business major because he was really good in art and drawing and Design, and and so we talked about whether or not you could monetize what you're passionate about, you know, the the fatherly thing. (laughs) Right now, I'm like, you're you're all like, you're a horrible father. True, true. But he calls and he says, I'm miserable. I'm, I'm miserable in my classes. And I could feel in that moment, I'm like, let me speak some life into his life. I said, Jimmy, what's your word for the year? Same scenario. He goes, Dad, my word is zeal. And I said, well, what does zeal mean? And he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit. I said, zeal means that you have a passionate pursuit for something you are made to do. I said, I think you should change your major. And um, I, he, he, I could hear an audible sigh of relief on the other end of the phone, and we talked a little bit more, and he hangs up, and literally five or six mi- minutes later, his, uh, his mom and I get an email that says, your son has changed his major from business to art and graphic design. And the rest of that story is here we are now six, seven years later, and here he is operating in his career with a sense of fulfillment and passion about what he's doing. You know, we don't always get it right, but what I love about the simplicity of the word is if you're attuned to what God is doing in someone else's life, you can really speak life and encouragement into them. You can partner with them along the way. my daughter, Grace, is the only one that's here with us full-time, and we're so thankful and blessed by that. I, I don't want to let her leave the house. She's a, she's a junior. We kind of want her to homeschool for college so that she can stay with us. Is that a good idea? Probably, <laughs> everyone's like, that's not good. That's dysfunctional. That's fine. That's fine. We love her that much. When we were coming from Maryland to Colorado, we knew it was going to be a big transition for her in particular because you're a high school student going from a school with 100 kids in your class to Fossil Ridge, which is seven or 800 kids in a class. Totally different environment, we knew that. And her word for the year last year was positive. We knew that in that process, she was gonna have some ups and downs, that she was gonna face be faced with challenges that, that we were gonna to have to overcome together. And during that year, we would constantly remind her to be positive, to see the bright side, and she's a bright sider usually anyway. And I remember during the year thinking to myself, how can I come alongside Grace in a meaningful way to feed into her word of being positive? So I decided to do this. I decided to write her notes uh, on little Post-it notes. And, um, and <laughs> oh yeah, she loves the original Pancake House. Anybody like the original Pancake House? No? Hmm. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to try it now. Bacon, pancakes, chocolate chips, what's better than that? But I remember thinking, how can I come alongside her? So day after day, when I would travel or I would leave, I would leave a, a post note on her mirror to encourage her for who she is and the value that she has and speak to the heart of grace in such a way that would encourage her to be positive regardless of the circumstances that she faced. And it was an incredibly powerful word. Um, and that's part of this process when you know what your word is and what you know the words are of others is you get to spur them on to see what God wants to do in their life. So that's looking in. How about looking up? Looking up is this uh, idea of being quiet enough to hear the voice of God. And this becomes a discipline, right, where you can unplug from the the world and plug into what God might have for you for that year. And all three of us come from a a Jesus perspective on this book that, that we believe God has plans for us, we believe that God still speaks to us, and we believe that he has a great, that's unfolding and we just need to discover it. So we ask these questions. What needs to be done in me? God, what do you wanna do in me to change my character, to change my DNA in some substantial way so that I can be a blessing to others, right? Because a life well lived is not for you. A life well lived is lived for the glory of God and the good of others. That's where satisfaction happens. That's where anxiety and depression uh, disappear. When you're out there Actively helping and investing in the lives of others. And then we ask this simple question when we're asking God what our word might be for the year if there was one word that we could focus on this year that would have the greatest positive impact on others and the world around us, what would that word be? And we'll journal about that. So let me tell you, let me take you through a little story that uh, Eva Lisa and I have faced and our family has faced in the last uh, 10 years or so, 11 years. We've been married now for 27 years. And back in 2008, Evelise was diagnosed with fourth stage colon cancer. And in 2008, the reality was that her dad, when she was a teenager, at the age of 37, Evelise is now 37, was diagnosed with fourth stage colon cancer. Her father, many years before, was dead two years later. So as we faced the news that she was diagnosed with the same cancer that her father had, we were faced with the rare, very real fear of a short future. And that began our quest to, uh, to find healing and find help and find health. And I remember for 2009, she had had a couple of surgeries because it went from her colon to her liver, which is a very bad situation if you know much about cancer. And we were getting a lot of bad news from our, from our doctors and, and people that were taking care of her. And as we were assembling that team, I will never forget, her word for the year for 2009 became believe because we kept getting bad news and more bad news and more bad news. And we had an uncertainty about what the future would hold. So our criteria as we built this medical team around Ivelisse was do you believe that she can be well? Do you believe? And out of the four or five oncologists that we met with, there was only one who said that he believed she could be well and he became one of our primary doctors. I remember that this word believe became a mantra of sorts. No matter what, we're gonna trust in the goodness of God regardless of the outcome. You know, we, we, um, we knew that we didn't have certainty about the way it was gonna end, but we knew that God was good no matter what. And we had this positive expectation that nothing is impossible for those who believe, that nothing is impossible for God, that if you trust him with it and you trust him with the outcome, you can live in freedom. Even in the midst of tremendous fear and pain, you can experience freedom and hope and joy, and that's what we began to experience. Now, here we are 11 years later. Eva is completely cancer-free by the grace of God, and we've got a really, really big story to tell, partly because of what God did for her in that moment, and by the way, it doesn't always end that way, right? Some of us in this room have probably lost people to cancer or other disease, but we have a really big story to tell, and out of that came an organization called Believe Big, which is helping patients and their families find their pathway to healing. And it's bridging the gap between conventional treatment and complementary care. And we're having a lot of success. We get a lot of wins and and some losses along the way. But along the way, we get to introduce people to real healing, permanent healing, through faith in Christ. What a blessing that a word as small as believe could grow into something this big where people are being helped all around the world in that mission. Okay, and the last piece is looking out. Looking out is living it and sharing it. Um, every year around New Year's, we will, uh, we will paint our one word on a small canvas and we will post that in our home to keep it front and center. I'll have it on my screensaver. I've got a lot of different reminders. Two years ago, my word was warrior. This year, this past year, my word was unstoppable. I had coins made with those two words. Be, un- be an unstoppable warrior as a reminder to say, hey, this is the mindset that you need to live your best life for God. So here's some words as you start to contemplate, man. If I could focus on one single word this year that would have the greatest positive effect on my life, that would give me opportunities to make a real significant difference for others, what you see on the board right now are words that we've used and others have used all around the world. Something in here might encourage you. You may even be um, confirmed that that's the word. Maybe it's courage, maybe it's overcomer, maybe it's brave. Maybe it's peace or patience. Maybe it's something that you need to change on the inside of you that you know will have the greatest positive impact on those around you. And this year, I had an opportunity to go through this process, and God gave me my word early. He gave it to me in October. And I knew in October that my word for the year was going to be Jesus. Now, I know that sounds super spiritual, and everybody in the room right now is like, oh, my word stinks now. It's going to be joy. Now you got Jesus. I get it. It's fine. Yep, you can, it'll be a little envious, but we want hum- Humility. That's what we want. But I remember when I'm deciding on Jesus, I asked two questions. What do I need most? And what do those who are most important to me need most from me? And God just said, here it is. It's gonna be Jesus. And ever since then, January 1 hit, I have been diving into the red letters, if you will, the words of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, to understand the character, the mindset, the eternal mindset. And I'm changing and growing in ways that I never expected. But beyond that, I also have opportunities to share. So I'm over at uh, my neighbor's uh, business where he's got acupuncture and massage therapy and PT. And I'm in there for an acupuncture treatment and we're talking about one word. And he said, hey, what's your word for the year? I I said, look, I'm not gonna be able to continue this relationship until you pick a word for the year. And he goes, oh, I already got my word. We already did it as a family. And I said, all right, great. So we got in this conversation about the word Jesus. And I was able to share the truth and the love and the joy and the freedom of what Jesus brings just because I had the focus this year on that word. So let me show you a couple examples of what this looks like. This is a school, actually we launched this in school districts all around the country. This one's in Texas. I love this one because they let the kids, these are fourth graders, pull the ceiling tiles out, paint their words on it, and then put them back in the ceiling. So every time, all the kids are like, oh, did you see my word? They're they're touring people through the school with this, positive expectation and faith, positive expectation about what their year is gonna be. This is basketball team. I know uh, Pastor's a coach of a, of a high school team. We do this with teams all over the country. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson does it with his football team, and he's transformed his program over it. One of the things I love about this picture, actually, is they let all of their siblings know, and the fans in the crowd know what their words were, so they hold up their words in the crowd during the game to remind them of, their, of being their very best. This is the One Word for Kids book. We've, we made it now in bite size, so if you've got little ones or you've got grandkids, this is a great opportunity to help them understand how to focus for the year for their best year ever. This is another school and other teams that we've dealt with over the course of time. So what's your word? What's your word? I hope you're encouraged this morning to really dive into this idea about narrowing the focus, right? Getting to a place where you can narrow the focus for the greatest possible life change, the greatest possible opportunity to impact those around you, and to glorify God in the process. If you do, I believe that you're going to live with a greater sense of purpose and mission and meaning than you probably ever have before. It's done that for me. It's done that for our family and countless others for the last 21 years. I know it will make a difference. So you've got one week I didn't do this last time. But you have one week. And next week, if you come back here, I'm gonna stand at the door, and I'm gonna have a notebook. And I'm gonna ask you, all right, what's your word? What's your word? And I'm gonna meet everybody. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. We're not gonna do that, are we? But, but we should do it. But I'll give you a week to dive into this. And if you come over for, uh, for the college lunch, you'll have an opportunity to spend more time doing it. But what's your word? Let's go live and truly make the greatest positive difference that we can for Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to be encouraged uh, by the simplicity of focus and by the truth that you are at work within each one of us in powerful ways. Lord, we want our lives to glorify you and to be spent for the greatest good of others. Lord, help us to live in such a way that we stay focused on the things that matter most, on the people that matter most, that we live with a renewed sense of mission and meaning, and we truly live our best life this year for you.